Darkcast Network. Out of the shadows comes the best of indie podcasts. listening to castles and cryptids where the castles are haunted and the cryptids are cryptic as fuck and i'm alana i'm kelsey and tonight we are on episode 117 yeah we are yes i got it (laughs) um and tonight we're talking about near-death experiences tonight this morning whatever time it is wherever you are (laughs) yeah it may or may not be Friday night, wherever we are right now at this point in time, after a very long Yeah. <laughs> so I'm very happy just, to be recording with you. <laughs> uh, we just released our latest episode this morning that was filled with yes. so many Gordo interruptions. It was insane to edit. <laughs> I left uh, a lot of it in, but, uh, well, I wouldn't say a lot. I probably I left 75 75- percent of it in uh yeah sometimes he's kind of cute and it, sometimes he it's kind of funny to listen to you be harassed by him i must admit i find it entertaining <laughs> i think i think the episode uh that just came out was the most gordo we've ever had it was a whole lot so wow yeah we'll Takes see how this episode cake. goes hopefully it goes better because <laughs> that was infuriating it was so annoying kept trying to like i did tell you i was down. yeah it's crazy we're like trying to do anything with cats around i i did uh probably tell you on air i can't remember but i was just like got back from my mom's house <laughs> no cats here oh gosh i can put down a cup again or something and nobody's gonna yeah. like <laughs> throw it off the the counter yeah <laughs> like yeah <laughs> crazy yeah i called it his shenanigans there was a whole lot of shenanigans going on shenanigans mm-hmm. um well i have an animal fun fact that i'm gonna steal from a podcast i was listening to earlier today because it was the office oh. ladies don't worry they're big enough <laughs> fun okay what just, is it yeah 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 you know the office the gals um okay i think they were talking about some uh may or may not be false facts that dwight (laughs) dwight you know his character was saying yeah yeah so uh so one of them that was posited as as a a true fact was that like true or true like oh yeah she was quizzing the other one like true or false um flamingos have the longest orgasm in animal kingdom at like 30 minutes or something like that i think oh i think i've heard that before (laughs) i think that was like the question posed to whoever was answering angela maybe and then it's like wait i don't know that sounds interesting but it's like no false fact um because with flamingos I, i i'll probably have to double check this so i don't you know 
misquote me, but I think flamingos, they said, topped out at 15 minutes, whereas pigs were actually the ones who had the longest oh, orgasm okay. that could be up to like half an hour or more. <laughs> Shit. And I did not fact check that because I was like literally listening to it and then I was like in the bathroom and then I was like, wait, I'm going to go back to my desk and like try to remember this. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I'll, I'll double check. I, but I think it's true. <laughs> that's crazy. Oh my God. If I heard it on a podcast, clearly it's. It has fact. to be true. <laughs> not a false fact. It was, well, yeah. they were verifying Dwight's false facts versus, <laughs> so. Nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yes, it's not good to remember, rely on my memory, but I was like, that's interesting. Also reminds me of that moment where Phyllis is like, I didn't have an orgasm till I was like 42. And then it lasted oh. for two years. 43 was a blur or whatever she says in her cute little accent. <laughs> I do not remember her saying that, but oh, it sounds like really something Phyllis would say. This is all your fault. You made me watch The Office. Now I will quote it at you forever. <laughs> yeah. Him and that, is he the fridge salesman, right? That's her husband. Oh, Bob Vance of Vance Refrigeration? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure like, all I know all is sorts of appliances. That all I know is something about fridges. <laughs> <laughs> how i remember him oh yeah. yes and then you know the after the merger oh god now this is an office tangent no but <laughs> if once the new kid comes to town played by rashida jones um karen oh yeah and she's like who's bob vance and she's like oh honey you've got a lot to learn about this town. <laughs> anyway anywho <laughs> what are we talking about today if I can keep us on track. <laughs> uh, well, we already said it's near-death experiences. Uh, oh, I couldn't remember if we were doing, like... Because typically when you look up near-death experiences, it's, like, people that saw heaven and, like, came back. Like, that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah. I couldn't remember yeah. if that's what we talked about. So I did more, like, brushes with death, like, crazy survival stories. Uh, then like people that saw heaven and like came back to life. Yeah. So I have some crazy, uh, (laughs) survival stories. Uh, Interesting. Like just more in the true sense of the word. Uh, yeah. Or like the term. That's funny. Yeah. We didn't really specifically talk. These are one of those ones where it's kind of hard to divvy up sometimes because you're like, yeah. Well, we'll cover some of the same stories, but then you like, if you go look on the internet, there's probably just a bunch of the same stories. Yeah. Like, in the top three when Google picks or whatever. First was looking it up, like near death experiences. It was just a lot of like people that saw heaven, then kind of like came back to life or were resuscitated or things like that. Uh, but I knew yeah. at some point we had talked about doing like the kind of I shouldn't be alive type. Or like I survived type stories, and oh, then I couldn't yeah. remember if that's the direction we were taking with this episode. <laughs> so I just decided to stick with that. Uh, okay, cool. Okay, I found cool. some that's crazy ones. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Because yeah, there's a lot of there's shows like I survived and whatnot, and 
I, yeah, one of yeah. mine, I guess, had like those. was covered on. I think I survived, or Ooh. yeah, I think it was on I survived. They apparently did talk about it. Um, okay, yeah. that's funny. Yeah, it kind of went in a little bit of a yeah, a little bit less of the traditional direction because a lot of them are in the traditional direction, like you said, just um that you see the same form of the same thing or whatever like, yeah like a bright light and and whatnot and i really it is really interesting when they do differ so don't worry i think i'll have some to satisfy both both of okay cool. curiosities yeah. <laughs> hopefully well <laughs> uh yeah i have some crazy things i did end up putting i have a few pictures in the drive because uh, oh, I have three. I count on you. <laughs> yeah, I was able to find pictures, not too many. Uh, but yeah, I have well. three kind of stories of these like crazy survival things, and they all we've been very like nautical lately because all of mine have to do with boats. Uh, <laughs> oh, really? Just like incidentally? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which kind of okay. ended up being crazy. <laughs> Just out of the the lists I read of stories like of crazy survival these kind of caught my attention the most and then yeah they all just happened to be about boats and I didn't realize that until I was completely done typing up my notes and then I was like oh all of these are about boats we've been talking about the sea and boats and everything a lot lately so oh my god we're gonna have to start a little jingle like um because you know I listen to a podcast called drinking the kool-aid and They'll often do a little joke where they talk about aliens, where they'll go like, oh, it always comes back to aliens. <laughs> and so yeah. if we just keep going on like different maritime ocean mysteries, we're going to have to start going, it always comes back to the maritime. No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. The ocean. <laughs> no, but something because, yeah, so many things are sinister about the deep waters. Yeah. <laughs> um. So my first one is the story of Jose Salvador Alvarenga and he is from El Salvador uh he's a fisherman who ended up being able to survive 13 months adrift at sea oh my god yeah it's the crazy stories are insane mm-hmm. 13 months 13 months so over a year yeah like even when they go on that show alone and they're in the like usually the canadian wilderness for for like at least two months before everyone cops out and taps out and whatnot but wow that's over a year yeah this is a pretty pretty crazy one uh so it started uh when on november 17th 2012 he had set off to go on a professional fishing trip uh with this younger fisherman named ezekiel cordoba and uh he went with this like with cordoba because his usual fishing mate that he typically went out with wasn't able to join him and uh, he and Cordoba had actually never even worked together or anything before. So this was like their first trip out. Oh, and, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the pair left from a, a fishing village on the Pacific coast of Mexico 
and the plan was to be out on the water for about 30 hours so a little over a day and okay. uh, they had plans to do this deep sea fishing for sharks uh, marlin and sailfish which I can't remember what sailfish Ooh. are I've heard of them before I can't I don't particularly know what they look like Right, but, and Marlin makes me think of Finding Nemo, but I don't know if that's because what those is that what those fish? No, they're called no, they're called clownfish. His name is just but, Marlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, there's a name. Yeah. Someone's name is Marlin. Maybe the dad. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so their boat was like a seven meter, twenty three foot, like topless, like so it didn't have any like canopy, Ooh. nothing. Like, <laughs> uh, it was a fiberglass skiff. That had a single outboard motor and then had a refrigerator-sized ice box that they would store the fish that were caught. Oh, okay. So, like, not intended to... It's not like, um... What was that show? Like, Deadliest Catch, where they're, like, on this huge... <laughs> I was like, just thinking of ship. that. Yeah. Yeah, because Claude had it on when I was back home visiting Mom <laughs> in Brunswick. Mm. Yeah, it's Whoa. not Deadliest Catch, crazy, <laughs> like,ness going on there. They have basically a refrigerator-sized cooler, and once it's full, like, that's kind of it. Let's see which so... other History Channel shows we can mention. Or whatever. <laughs> Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, a few hours into their trip, actually, this pretty severe storm started, and it ended up lasting for like five days, and it pushed them pretty far off, of course, from where they were supposed to be. Uh-oh. And yeah, so not good already. And the pair by this point, like I'm not sure if it was before. Like, in between they left and when the storm started, or if maybe they were doing some of the fishing during the storm, which I can't really see happening. But it did say that the parrot, by the end of the storm, had caught about 500 kilograms or 1,100 pounds of fresh fish. And, uh, yeah, because of the force of the storm, they actually were forced to dump it overboard uh, in order to make the boat easier to steer during the storm, to like get rid oh of the added God. weight. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I guess you would assume that because they do seem to catch things under very like yeah. bad conditions <laughs> on that show. Terrible. Yeah. So you're like, okay, well maybe they were fishing during the storm a bit, but yeah, obviously you've miscalculated if you're fishing and then you're in a storm where you have to like then get rid of so much of your catch like oh what a bad bad day for them (laughs) uh so after this like alvarenga he was able to call for help on their two-way radio that they had uh after the call for help though the battery ended up dying and also most of the boat's electronics had been damaged by the storm along with the boat's motor so they couldn't drive anywhere and they couldn't like navigate and then how they couldn't radio for any more help after the first call uh so the they were left with no sails oars anchor and no running lights at all so they're basically just like listlessly like floating like there was like nothing that they could do (laughs) yeah yeah she's so mad she had to beat the place no yeah so wait they had sails normally and a motor but, like, none of this is working now. 
I don't know if they typically had sales. Um, They typically had a motor. The motor isn't working. Um, Okay. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, So with no other way to contact the shore, uh, the boat was simply just drifting in the open ocean. And most of their fishing gear had also been lost or damaged in the storm, leaving them with only a handful of basic supplies and very little food left. That's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. So a search party, uh, after they received, I think, like the radio call from them, was sent out to look for the boat along with the two men. And they did search for uh, two days, but the... It ended up being called off because there was poor visibility and they didn't successfully find them. So their boss mm-hmm. basically gave up and assumed that the two men had drowned during the storm. Like, yeah, maybe it had been tipped over and like uh, the boat sunk or something. Sure, and it's hard with... to search, as we know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. lot. So with them not being found, the men were now alone at sea with no extra food or any sort of supplies, really. Uh, It's said that they scavenged for food when possible. Uh, They were able to catch fish, turtles, jellyfish, and seabirds with their bare hands. Because they didn't really have, like, fishing equipment, I guess, anymore. Yeah. That sounds a little familiar. Because, like, I'm like, oh my god, what a harrowing sea tale. Like... Yeah. Not everybody can do that. Just no. Learn- That's like learning to spear a fish or something. Like Right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyone can and not even then is it easy to take a fish and a and a pole and a, a bait and a lure yeah. and catch a fish. Like you have to be so patient, but to actually like <laughs> I don't know, just grasp one or whatever, just catch one yeah. in the air or spear one. Oh my god, I watched um this show with chris hemsworth the other day on the uh oh i don't know if it was discovery or nat geo because i was on disney plus one of those things looking for stuff Hmm. um yeah he does a bunch of challenges and one of the ones was where he he was like i'm not gonna eat for four days and then just to experience kind of like more like a tribe that they go without eating unless they can hunt something that they were yeah um talking to and stuff and then he had to like he was so hungry and just so like just like i don't know he just like a shell of his former self but then he had to do this thing where he had to like go underwater and just try to spear a fish and to like eat it to break the fast he's like after four days you'll be like you'll feel so good when you eat it and he's just like i don't know man i don't know if i'm gonna make it and then like he just gets that one last like yeah breath or whatever yeah sorry spoilers but no <laughs> and then he just like is finally able to like spear a fish and then gets to cook it and eat. he's just like the happiest <laughs> wow little yeah. thor on earth <laughs> yeah yeah it was pretty cool uh so it it said that they also somehow were able to collect food along with plastic that was floating in the water so they might have used like the plastic to catch rainwater that they were able to drink because obviously like they couldn't drink the seawater it was a little confusing it didn't really explain it very well and they had tried to stick with drinking the rainwater but were it said were often forced to drink turtle blood or their own urine like just to stay alive 
I've never heard of wow. somebody drinking turtle blood before. I don't know. Everything said they drank True. turtle blood. I don't know if that's like I don't know, maybe it was out of all the things they were able to catch it had the most like blood cuz I can't picture like fish really having much blood or birds. No, so. and yeah. I mean, it's not as if they're going to have it on tap. <laughs> Either way. Yeah. <laughs> they're gonna yeah, eat an animal like yeah maybe you're gonna ingest some of their blood for sustenance also like you're just doing yeah. it yeah for sustenance and yeah to survive uh, <laughs> so according to alvaranga cordoba had kind of it got really sad so he had lost all hope about four months in and started becoming <sighs> about four like, months in more like four yeah. days in. Sorry, I'm just kidding. Like, I would, though. <laughs> That's crazy. Uh, Yeah, he became really sick from the raw food diet because, like, they're on a boat. They can't cook any of this food. And yeah. he actually eventually died from starvation after he started to refuse to eat anything. And oh. Alvarenga says that he he himself thought about killing himself for, like, four days after Cordoba died. But... Like, he had a really strong, like, faith, and it said that that stopped him, um, was, like, his religion and everything. He didn't go through with it. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, something's gotta keep you going at that point, because, you know, your will to live would be tested, let's just say. Yeah. I'm sure. Uh, he said that Cordoba had made him promise, uh, to not eat his body after he died, uh, and he kept, so, like, Aww. he kept his promise, like, as far as we know, uh, he says that he kept Cordoba's body on the boat um, for at least the few, first few days, because he says that he ends up, like, talking to the body, like, because he's by himself. Yeah. Um, so he spends the next few days uh, talking to Cordoba's body and eventually ended up throwing his body overboard after the sixth day because he feared that he was like actually going insane like talking to him so yeah he he dumped his body overboard which I think really upset uh Cordoba's family um but Aww. I mean that's that's yeah. hard though but cause... like the boat as far as I can tell he I couldn't find pictures of the boat but yeah, yeah. I couldn't find pictures of the boat, so I don't know how big it is, but, like, obviously, it, oh, if he know. was on the boat for, like, another nine months with a dead body that's, like, decaying in the sun, that would be pretty rank, so. Yeah, and that would yeah. be a I'm sure that would be a, a disservice to his spirit also, you would think. Yeah. <laughs> like, just to have him sitting there. This sounds yeah. very familiar, I must say. Like, I feel like I may have heard about this one, like, once or something. It's just horrific, Yeah, I think though. this is the one that, like, I'm pretty sure was on. Like, I survived or I shouldn't be alive oh, or something. Okay. Yeah, I think I came across something like that. I was looking for um, Good Omens because I wanted to make sure I watched that. Mm. <laughs> and also, the new we'll season. Oh. Okay. Neil, well, Neil Gaiman I'll... just owns my heart. He's so ridiculous. He just made the second season so gay and it was so unnecessary. Gaiman. <laughs> I yeah, can't believe I didn't tangent so to you before the show, though, because we were literally just watching some, uh, the other show you told us to watch, Dark, before 
before mm. I came up to record, but I knew we were already getting late, so I didn't <laughs> I didn't have time to bring it up and yammer at you yet. <laughs> yeah. But I can see why you told us to watch it. <laughs> it's so good. It's pretty it's crazy. I have to rewatch it because I watched the seasons as they aired, so I watched each season about a year apart from each other. So Oh, is there multiple of this this one already? Of Dark? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dark has three seasons. It's like over now. Okay. Okay, good, good. Yeah. Glad to hear. So I I have to rewatch like start (laughs) to finish to feel like I get the whole like storyline of what they were trying to do. Because it's a lot. It's a lot. It gets a lot. There's a lot of characters. I was confused about who's kids were everyone's. But I did recognize that the one actor was also the same guy from that 1899 show. I was like, I just got done watching that. Is that not that dude? (laughs) Yeah, the Um, ship captain. uh, He's in it. He's in it. He's the stranger. Um, That's right. I think his character name is. That's what IMDB or whatever called him. Yes, the stranger. Because I was like, I don't know know anyone's name. (laughs) Yeah. Anywho, I digress. Um, Yeah. I'll, I'll cut out my yammering perhaps <laughs> um tv tangent <laughs> oh my god we should have a sting well a sound bite or whatever that's what i was called in the office a sting tv tangent <laughs> yeah Tangents. you'll Digi- have to let me know clutter. when you Sorry. start getting really into the show like when you're mm. uh like past se- the first season you're just gonna be like what the fuck am i watching like i sat there every episode oh, with like the entire family <laughs> tree map of who was related to who and whose was everybody's kids and the different pictures of the different like ages of oh, all the characters because no. i couldn't keep it tra- straight and i was like fuck i had it saved as a bookmark on my computer for three fucking years trying to follow the show like <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot. It gets, what? It gets so much more complicated. You know, oh, you know. no! Anyway, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay, sorry. Um, okay, uh, so, yeah, Cordoba, he is gone, so Alvarenga is now left alone on the ship. Uh, he <sighs> basically has no option but to continue this raw food and rainwater yeah. diet for, like, another nine months. Yeah, that or what, kill yourself? But how, even? Like, yeah. It's just as awful of a prospect. Ugh. Yeah. He says he later, or he later says that he saw multiple uh, transoceanic container ships, like, traveling past, but he was never successfully able to get any of their attention. Wow. Which just breaks my heart. Um, yeah. I don't know how many of them, like, passed by, but he did say he was able to track uh, the time that was passing by, like, paying attention to the phases of the moon. So, like, he was aware of, like, how long was passing. He didn't lose track of time. Holy um, shit. Like, that yeah. would be difficult. Especially without right? something to mark the days. You'd be like, well, did I just count? Was it 30 days? Was it 38 days? Like, you would literally think you were going insane. I don't know. It sounds like my yeah. worst nightmare. <laughs> uh. So eventually he was able to spot this small island and he made the like pretty crazy decision to uh, end up abandoning the boat and swim to this tile islet that was part of Ebon Atoll. I think that's an island. 
Uh, so he like swam there, got to shore, and it said that a couple found him on January 30th, 2014. Um, by this point, he was like, he, um, Alvarenga's in like his late 30s, and he was found by two locals, uh, Emi Libo Camito and Russell Lea Kedrick. And John Smith. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> They ended up finding him. They said he was naked, clutching a knife and shouting in Spanish. Uh, wow. Just washed yeah. up on shore. Oh. Yeah. Like, I think he was, they probably found him wandering around. Um, and right, he was. He wanted to, yeah, he, he yeah. booked it for the island. He left the ship. Yeah, he, he just leaves to. the boat. And just right because it like, wasn't. It was more like a raft at this. Like it wasn't. It's not like it's a work. No, it's boat. a boat. Right, well, but the, it was dead in the water, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Is... Okay, sorry. But it's but so, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's not sinking. It's not in any danger of sinking or anything like that. But right. Yeah, <laughs> like your last um, boat. No. <laughs> yeah. No, not like that. Yeah, but it's not safe so, to stay on. He can't stay on it forever, regardless. So yeah, he had yeah, because they just weren't finding crazy. him. Yeah, that was that was brave. Like that's you yeah, make that decision to like okay, I'm gonna try and stay alive. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So he ended up being treated in hospital for like eleven days. Um, the doctor said that his vital signs were pretty good, but his blood pressure was unusually low. And they also said that okay. he, uh, his ankles were really swollen and he struggled with walking. And Jeez. I think that's probably because he just spent so much of your time sitting. Um, yeah. Like literal sea legs. Not even once yeah. from just being on a boat, but from being probably on a little like raft dinghy boat. <laughs> um. So after receiving treatment, he was flown home to El Salvador to reunite with his family. And they actually hadn't even been in touch for like eight years leading up to his disappearance. And what? yeah, I don't really know what was going on with that. But it said that his family feared he had actually been dead before he had even went missing. Like just because they had never they hadn't heard from him in so long. They thought maybe he was already Aww. dead. But when like Aww. he was found... And then they're like, we're going to reunite you with your family. They're like, okay, kind of thing. Um, so when they heard that he was alive and like what he had gone through, they were really happy to hear that he had been found. And his daughter ended up saying, quote, the first thing I'll do is hug him and kiss him. So like, I don't even think he really saw his daughter. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. Again, it didn't really talk about why that was so i don't really know but that reads like um, a tv tv show where yeah there's some complicated Kinda, reason yeah. why they're <laughs> yeah, it's like right? you, i don't know horror movie i feel like sometimes they're like we lost a child there's always something they're like yeah dealing with <laughs> you know you're like oh. yeah but that's uh, dang talk about mm -hmm. rough and like you're like okay well now we're supposed to maybe we should feel like we have to make up and yeah be closer because you've been on so. this harrowing journey but yeah. they were kind of estranged it sounds like so i mean yeah, yeah. it's a little awkward <laughs> 
So, Weird. yeah, the story was, like, heavily reported worldwide when it first happened. Uh, and there was a bunch of initial criticism from all these skeptics. Um, I won't really get into it, but there was stuff saying, like, um, just weird stuff about, like, you couldn't survive on that, and you didn't actually drift that far, and the, the storm, like, wouldn't have put you there, and the water currents wouldn't have taken you this way, and, like, what? all this shit. Yeah, it was a bunch of bullshit. Um, But they figured it out basically based on, like, the logs of like when they left like obviously their employer through the name of the like Cordoba and him yeah. had left on this day and like they went missing and like all that shit so I mean yeah what kind yeah. of receipts do they want like a freaking video montage yeah. of the whole thing like that's just not gonna happen yeah sorry dude <laughs> you can believe um, it or not Ripley's, yeah so after all all that kind of shit that happened. Uh, they did say yeah. that Jose Salvador Alvarenga is the first person in recorded history to have survived in a small boat at sea for more than a year. Uh, which is pretty crazy. Hopefully first and yeah. last. Yeah. I mean. Uh, alone? It said. You said. Uh, well, he was, he was alone for the last nine months. True, 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 true. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, horrific and. Yeah. Torturous. Uh, it says I that he survived a total of 438 days at sea and is estimated to have covered between 5,500 and 6,700 miles. Just like drifting wow. around. Yeah. I think between yeah. drifting around and like him swimming to the island, like start to finish, I think. Yeah. Um, my last little thing Sorry. I found uh, was. Really, the newest update I could find, really, it was from Wikipedia. I found a lot of stuff, actually, on Wikipedia for my things. Some good quotes and stuff. Um, this one was just that in 2015, Alvarenga gave a series of interviews about his ordeal to a journalist named Jonathan Franklin, who ended up publishing his story as a book called 438 Days, An Extraordinary True Story of Survival at Sea. And... Uh, shortly after the release of the book, the family of Ezekiel Cordoba ended up suing Alvarenga for like a million dollars, and what? they accused him of cannibalizing their relative in order to survive, uh, oh, despite no. the fact that Cordoba would not be eaten after he died. Um, but Alvarenga, it, just the last thing I found was that Alvarenga's lawyer denied like any cannibalism accusations um that sucks yeah. i mean hard for that family but yeah i don't know it feels like you're just going after the guy who yeah. last saw him alive but they were trying to survive together it's not like he killed yeah. him on purpose it's not like he yeah they he didn't eat him he didn't do any of that yeah as far as we know they were they could have both theoretically survived together but it did sound like cordoba was getting like ill from the diet that they were eating so um yeah yeah um, sure it could happen it's not yeah. not a healthy seriously balanced diet necessarily <laughs> no um yeah my next one is not always about a boat it's my least boaty of all the boat stories but about a boat? <laughs> it's about a boat 
How about boot that? I was going to say, yeah. How did I think we say it? <laughs> about a boot? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this one's also probably pretty famous. Uh, oh. And that, because I had heard the last name before. Uh, this is the story of uh, Sir Ernest Shackleton. Uh, and yeah, he was a yeah, Arctic I think I explorer. Him in the Third Man Syndrome episode, maybe, because he's the one that goes to the uh, South Pole expedition, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I that's mean, where they got the the uh, briefly, briefly, because I didn't cover him in detail, but I believe that's where they got the term Third Man Syndrome, because okay. As it goes on and he's kind of feeling alone, he felt like another person was walking beside him that wasn't there or something. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, I, I think they... Uh, I heard of him. He sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, I think there is one small part maybe where he's by himself. But yeah, we'll see. Um, so he was an Arctic explorer who in 1914 decided to become the first to cross Antarctica on foot, uh, which is okay, pretty crazy right. to like decide right. to do. Yeah. And that one's the, that's the South Pole one. Right. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm like, I'm looking at my world map right now. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I get, I just try to, yeah, think cause yeah. Geography is hard sometimes you guys. We're close to the North yeah. Pole. That's the one we're used to. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, yeah, I have a bunch. Like, my next two, I have a bunch of, like, snippets from Wikipedia. Because they had pretty good, mm. like, written out about information. Yeah. Cool. So, it said that um, for this expedition that they had planned, there was two ships that would be employed. The Endurance uh, was the first one. And it would carry the main party into the Weddell Sea. Uh, where, or sorry, into the Weddell Sea aiming for Bossel Bay, where a team of six led by Shackleton would begin the crossing of the continent. Like the whole thing start to finish, which is crazy. Right. Uh, while they were supposed to be making this crossing, there was going to be a second ship, the Aurora, that would take a supporting party um, under the direction of Captain Aeneas McIntosh to McMurdo Sound on the opposite side of the continent. And this party would kind of walk, uh, not quite trying to meet them in the middle, but they would be setting up all these supply depots across the Great Ice Barrier um, oh, so that yes. they could pick up supplies. So they would basically be walking part of the way and then walking back to the ship so that when they got... By the time they got there, they would have all these supply depots, like, to pick up food and supplies that and stuff. That sounds familiar. Yeah. I feel like I've um, heard about this, because it wasn't there, like, a race to see who could get to the South Pole first in... Yeah. Well, and some other thing I heard, and, yeah, other people were like, we're gonna get there first, but they didn't have the setups and the, yeah. you know, the supply drops and whatnot. I mean, it's a yeah. desolate, you know... Yeah, there's what nothing... Yeah, it's a tundra. It might. It's not a hot desert tundra. It's an Arctic tundra. Yeah. Like there's yeah. nothing there. Uh, so yeah. these like depots that they were setting up would hold 
food and fuel that would enable Shackleton's party to complete their journey of about 1,800 miles or 2,900 kilometers across the continent. That's a lot. Uh, Yeah. This expedition (laughs) was largely financed by private donations, although the British government did donate money as well. Uh, Shackleton ended up receiving more than like 5,000 applications to join in on the trip between the two ships. Um, wow. He ended up having to conduct interviews to narrow down to the final crew. Uh, he based these interviews on people's temperaments, uh, their character, and then like technical abilities of like jobs and stuff like that. Smart. Yeah. Uh, he finally <laughs> narrowed it to a crew of 56 people in total and set that there would be 28 people on each ship and each ship would have its own captain with crews that included like uh, meteorologists scientists different levels of explorers uh, and then also two surgeons so I think maybe one on each ship and then there was also like 70 dogs and their handlers Uh, 70 man yeah (laughs) There's a shit ton of dogs. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Not too long into their voyage, the Endurance ended up becoming stuck in the ice. And then on uh, the 24th of February, realizing that the ship would be trapped until the following spring, Shackleton ordered that they abandon the ship's routine and convert it into more of a winter station. Like, just basically, like, just stay there. Um, but stop okay. trying to move. And the ship was slowly drifting northward uh, with the ice through the f- like following months. Uh, and then when spring arrived, uh, it said when spring arrived in September. So I think spring arrives really late in the Arctic. Like by the time it warms up enough for there to be spring there, I think it's really late in the season. Well, aren't we Antarctic Southern Hemisphere? Yeah, so it's yeah. opposite. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Opposite seasons, yeah. So fucked uh, up spring, September. <laughs> right? Yeah. So when spring arrived in September, uh, the breaking up of the ice and then later movements uh, ended up putting extreme pressure on the ship's hull. And so until this point, Shackleton had hoped that the ship, when released from the ice, would be able to work its way back towards the bay where they were supposed to kind of like station at. Oh, well, but yeah. on the yeah, on the twenty fourth of October, water ended up beginning to pour into the ship, and after a few days, Shackleton gave the order to abandon the ship, saying it was going down, and the men along kind of out, um, like disembarked all their provisions equipment and transferred it to different camps uh that they made on the ice um so they were basically completely abandoning the ship and on the 21st of november 1915 the endurance ship uh finally like slipped beneath the surface so it like completely sunk by then okay so it was gone yeah, I was gonna say, at least with the other abandoned ship, it's not like, because they're sinking dramatically, Can't you can yeah. you can jump out onto the ice or whatever, presumably. I mean, it's not a yeah. great prospect to be yeah. <laughs> on this barren land, but yeah. it's still at least not the fucking water. <laughs> uh, 
so for the next like two months, Shackleton and his party camped on a large flat flow, like ice flow, and hoping mm. it would drift them slowly towards an island where they knew there was different stores of like food and supplies cached already. Uh, okay. yeah. They did make some failed attempts to march across the ice to the island, but eventually decided to set up another more, like, permanent camp. And they waited there for another month or so uh, as their flow broke uh, into two pieces and was, like, drifting. And this is when Shackleton ordered the crew into the three lifeboats that they had taken off of the Endurance and uh, said that they were going to be putting them into the water and going towards the nearest island um like as more of the ice broke up yeah right so over the next five days as far as i could tell he and his crew left the boat um like left on these boats and made their way to this tiny uninhabited island called elephant island uh they were there in the spring of 1916 And upon landing, it was actually their first time on solid ground in, like, 497 days. Wow. So, yeah. Can you imagine being able to say that? That's insane. (laughs) It would make me feel like a freaking astronaut. (laughs) Right? Yeah, it would be wild. Yeah, I'll have to ask um, my sister, like, how long, when she was on navy oh, ship yeah. like how many days how that equates to yeah because i know she's been out That's there for crazy. like at least six months wow so, wait three months is 90 days that's like 180 days or something yeah that's crazy oh. right i would go crazy <laughs> uh yeah so this like elephant island or whatever that they were on was far from any mm. sort of shipping routes and they weren't okay. likely to be found or like anything to be there so they made the decision to travel another about 720 miles to the south georgia whaling stations um yeah they needed like the strongest and largest lifeboat which they dubbed the james kayard i think Okay. Uh, <laughs> out of like the three that they had, they dubbed this the James Caird, I think it's pronounced. Uh, they chose this one hmm. for the task and then they worked to make some improvements to the boat so it would survive the journey. Okay, um, good. <laughs> yeah. Shore so, up any holes, patch up any, you know, <laughs> yeah, things you can. Strengthen it, hopefully, stuff like that. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> so from Wikipedia, it said that the James Caird was launched on the 24th of April, 1916. And during the next mm. 15 days, it sailed through the waters of the Southern Ocean at the mercy of the stormy seas and in constant peril of capsizing. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, on May Great. 8th, thanks to Worsley's navigation skills, I think he was the captain, um, the cliffs okay. of South Georgia came into sight, but hurricane force winds prevented the possibility of them landing on the island. So the party mm-hmm. was actually forced to ride out the storm offshore in constant danger of being dashed against the rocks. And... <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, just like crushed. Uh, they yeah, actually later of something <laughs> every <Yeah>. time. 
they actually learned later that the same hurricane that they survived and like went through and waited out had actually sunk a 500 ton steamer that was bound for south georgia from buenos aires oh wow so like it had sunk like a huge steamer ship mm-hmm. um and they were basically on a fucking light raft like it's the brazilian boat. titanic <laughs> and they're like, yeah i'll never let go jack <laughs> yeah Uh, It says that the crew dodged icebergs, enormous swells, and gale force winds, as well as waves of icy water hitting them. Uh, The crew had no sort of waterproof clothing, and they were working really hard to bail out any of the water that came into the ship uh, with all these, like, buckets. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It's said that they barely slept, ate, or drank uh, for their two-week-long journey like to get uh oh my god to this island yeah and finally just bailing water the whole time (laughs) yeah like just i think out of all the swells of water that was just like it was just pouring water in um to the boat all the time from the top yeah and finally the james cared ended up approaching south georgia's coastline um yeah but this prevented them from reaching land after several tries shackleton navigated them safely into the small inlet on the island um after they had waited like i think and rather than risking going out to sea again to try and get to the occupied side of the land um because they're on an unoccupied side like that's where they're in that they're like we are we don't want to go out try and sail around the island um shackleton decided to do a land crossing and it said although others had crossed the island before no one had ever actually attempted this particular route um that they decided to take Mm. yeah (laughs) uh out of the men he and two other men made the decision to scale the dangerous glacier covered mountain range uh never the men never scale a glacier (laughs) Scary. I silly. <laughs> yeah, right. It said that the men used climbing boots that they made by pushing oh, screws no. through the bottom, like the soles oh, of the no. shoes. That's all they, they had. Made their own cleated shoes or whatever. Basically, yeah, and they had like they had some rope. That's all they really had. Uh they were That's so weird. I just have to say I heard some like we have more foot traffic than ever since we moved offices. Now we're you know with mm. more people so there was people walking through and somebody was like i overheard their conversation that was like well i could go with like i didn't say a cleated shoe but it was like something like a uh, hooks or 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 is there another word for cleats that can make on a shoe like I don't like know. a climbing shoe oh my god he was like i don't know it's not that i don't like a cleated shoe but I, the the cleated people gotta make sure the cleats are good enough or something it was just like such a specific Weird. conversation that i was like what even am i just overhearing that they're talking about right now <laughs> yeah that's so really random weird. yeah i don't know that's why i made me think of that sorry yeah. um yeah but they so they did that and they had some rope uh, and they successfully okay. traveled this dangerous mountain terrain for like 36 hours 
before they were able to reach the whaling station on May 20th. Um, where obviously like they alerted for help and everything Um, it said that the rescue of the men uh, was attempted and foiled like three times by all this sea ice kind of like blocking them Uh, but eventually all 22 other men like because there was three of them there um, the 22 others they had left behind were all rescued and you might be wondering what happened to the, like, Aurora that was supposed to meet them on the other side of the continent that they didn't get to. Um, yeah, they had made the, contact with someone I remember. <laughs> so, so the second ship, Aurora, had been blown from its anchorage where they had, like, dropped anchor and it had been driven out to sea. Uh, the shift was ship was adrift for uh, many months before it was able to be returned to New Zealand And this group, despite many hardships of their own, they actually had successfully carried out all these depot um, drop-offs that they had planned. But three people ended up dying um, during it, including that of its commander, Aeneas McIntosh. Uh, He had died, along with two others. So, yeah, they also had some stuff going on. I didn't really, there was like a separate Wikipedia page all about like Aurora and I didn't really read it. So they probably had a lot of shit going on too. Um, Yeah. I feel like, yes. I feel like I've heard uh, uh, um, someone covering stories on this situation. Yeah. 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 It's it's crazy fascinating. (laughs) Yeah. This one I actually heard um on the watch or like entertainment they do a thing called puppet history uh okay, where the one guy does like there yeah. yeah he does like puppet theater where he like teaches them about like something that happened in history and this one <laughs> like part yeah. of it was th- well they talked about like the race through like antarctica kind of thing so okay. it had some of this it was it, but it was talking about the two people that were like doing it at the same time um yeah that's interesting. So that's fun. I like that shit. I'll put yeah. I'll put a link to that on the website because they also covered my last one as well, um, which is how I found out about it, and really? I just thought it was crazy. Um, Your last, yeah. Case? Wait, yeah, I have one more story, um, like crazy oh, survival oh. story. So, like, meaning this next one, yeah, not last um, they, episode. Okay, gotcha. no, no, this one. Uh, yeah they they covered the antarctica one they also covered this one but this one was like from one of their older seasons but i'll link both of them on the the website like episode page because they're pretty cute um they do fun episodes to watch so yeah i think they came up in one Um, of my watch lists maybe amazon i'm like yeah this one is also very popular uh i hadn't heard it before i watched their episode about it but it did come up on a lot of things um when i was looking up like crazy survival stories because i feel like this is just one of the craziest and you might know it it's uh the survival of violet jessup and she has been described as either i'm gonna say the luckiest or the unluckiest woman alive oh the name yeah she ended up is familiar and wait yeah you said ship things so is she the one that like survives like three fucking shipwrecks or yeah something? she is Whoa. it's pretty crazy 
I feel like there's also like a cat that came up on podcast that was like, this is the unsinkable cat. And it served, it was in like three shipwrecks in like World War II or something. I was like, what? There was a cat mentioned in one of them, but it said that the, the cat, oh, it was in the last one, the Antarctica one. There was a cat on board and it ended up getting shot because they knew it couldn't survive like off of the ship. So they shot it. Yeah. Why? Why would you waste a bullet on shooting the cat if it's going to starve? What? Yeah. Couldn't you have just taken a little tiny pillow and just suffocated it? Oh my god. No. Much rather get shot. Um. Anyway, it not important. It all seems bad. Oh, okay. Alright, I'm ready. <laughs> um yeah so uh violet jessup she was born on october 2nd 1887 uh in argentina uh it said that her parents are like irish in heritage um, oh cool and she was the first it said the first of nine children so i think that just means she's the oldest that's just a weird way of saying she's the oldest of nine children yeah. uh I've heard that one, yeah, occasionally, yep. Yeah, um, it said that six of whom survived, so I think three of their siblings had died, Mm. um, and Jessup spent most of her, yeah, Jessup spent most of her childhood caring for many of her younger siblings. Okay. Uh, she became very ill at some point as a child and it's presumed later on that she had tuberculosis um when she was sick and she did it obviously yeah Yeah. she did end up surviving despite her doctor's prediction that it would kill her um so she lived through like tuberculosis and not many people do i would say yeah survive uh she followed in her mother's footsteps as a sea stewardess um something said that she was like a nurse and a stewardess so um interesting yeah uh it also said that she had to dress down to make herself less attractive in order to get hired as a stewardess there's a picture of her she is very pretty Um, oh she looks yeah she dirties herself up no (laughs) i want to see the yeah, I don't know. She looks cute, like little old school, like little nurse's uniform. But oh, okay, when she's um, all dressed up, yeah, I'll have a look here. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then at age twenty-one, she did her first stewardess position, and that was on a Royal Marine Line aboard or- Orinoco in nineteen o eight. Um, so she's 21 then. Okay. Um, yeah. And I think I see it now. I'm just, oh, it yeah, it's just the last one, <laughs> the last picture. It was the only picture I could find. <sighs> yeah, I love the old fashioned like nurses' uniforms right? and stuff. They're very, very so classic. Yeah, uh, exactly. And now we're just like, look at our slutty nurses <laughs> every <yeah>. Halloween. <laughs> we're such a treasure to our previous generations. <laughs> right? uh, yeah. <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, like three years after her first job working as a stewardess, but, uh, this is 1911, Jessup began working on the Olympic, which was a luxury <sighs> ship that was the largest civilian liner at the time. Okay. And, I heard uh, of so- her. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. September 20th, 1911, it left from Southampton and ended up colliding with British warship HMS Hawk uh, near the Isle of Wight. It said that there yeah, was... Yeah, it didn't get like, very the, far then, did it? Like, out into mm, the Atlantic. <laughs> no, that's I don't know not, how many days. Like, no, that's not that far off the UK from what yeah. I know. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, yeah. So, it said that there was no fatalities in this collision, and the ship made oh, it back wow. to port without sinking. And... Uh, it did say later on in like her memoirs that Jessup chose not to even discuss this collision like in them so I don't think it was anything like too crazy uh, okay and Especially she ended up continu- you've been involved in some crazy <laughs> crazy yeah. ones I guess the other ones are crazy uh, she <laughs> continued working on the ship until she was transferred to its sister ship in April of 1912 uh, uh. Yeah, so <laughs> at this point, 1912, she's 24 years old when she boards the RMS Titanic as a stewardess. Just she's like, like so this sweet. one will do better. <laughs> Much yeah. Better <laughs> uh, so just four days into their like trip, April 14th is when it struck the iceberg and then it said it sank in like two hours and 40 minutes. Um. Which is pretty crazy. That's really fast. Um, I have yeah. lots of... I think basically the rest of this is... Um, oh, yeah. Basically, other than my last little bit, this is all from Wikipedia. Um, like, copy. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. It said that Jessup later described in her memoirs how she was ordered up onto deck to serve as an as an example on how to behave for the non-English speakers who could not follow the instructions that were being given to them. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, she was watching as the crew loaded the lifeboats and she was later ordered onto lifeboat 16. And as the boat was being lowered, one of the Titanic's officers gave her a baby to look after. Uh, the next morning, Jessup and the rest of the survivors were rescued by the RMS Carpathia and were taken to New York You're City right. on April 18th. And yeah. according to Jessup, while aboard the Carpathia, a woman, presumably the baby's mother, grabbed the baby she was holding Hopefully. and ran off crying uh, without saying a word. And uh, Good Lord, I hope her- it was her mother. <laughs> right? Uh, after ah, baby, baby, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, after arriving in New York City, she later returned to Southampton. Okay. Um. Wow. Yeah, there was some stuff later. <sighs> what the frick did it say? I didn't keep it because it seemed very contradictory. It was saying that, like, she talked about in her memoirs or something that, uh, like twenty years later, or something like that. Uh, some some woman called her and asked her if like she had been aboard the titanic and she had looked after a baby and the person 
And she was like, yeah. And they were just like, I was that baby. And then like laughed and hung up the phone and stuff. But then the person that was like writing in that source said that um, only one baby was documented or something to have arrived in like, um, Mm. like been on the Carpathia or whatever from like that lifeboat and that baby and that baby was um that baby was a boy so like a woman wouldn't be calling her interesting whatever so yeah it was a little confusing I didn't bother like keeping that in my notes because I was like ah who knows she said it was likely she didn't feel like it was a prank but the person in the source was like trying to basically convince her been like it was likely just a prank like you know um yeah who's to say though um uh and then yeah so she survives the titanic now she's in southampton uh in the first world war jessup was a stewardess for the british red cross and on the morning of the 21st of november 1916 she was aboard the hmhs britannic which was the younger sister ship of the olympic and the titanic and is it the britannica or is it just no okay yeah britannic all right okay Um, i thought i heard of this one before too yeah yeah but yeah Uh, it's like the sister trio (laughs) yeah all shit um so the britannic had been converted into a hospital ship uh and then it ended up sinking in the aegean sea after an unexplained explosion i think oh aegean whatever um, after an unexplained explosion after it ran into a mine that was planted by a German U-boat. And... Dang. Yeah. Uh, Britannic sank within 55 minutes, so super, super fast. Oh, shit. And yeah. This one's <laughs> like... This one's still insanity because it killed 30 of the 1,066 people on board. 30? Um, Okay. Yeah, it killed 30 of them, but while the Britannic was sinking, uh, Jessup and the other passengers were nearly killed by the ship's propellers that were shredding the lifeboats that collided with them, Um, which is what I remember from the the puppet history episode, because they actually- Puppet history. They always do- They always do an outro, like, song at the end- and the puppet okay. that they had that sang the song was one of the propellers that was going to kill, like, that was killing oh all the ships. God. And how, and how, but the propeller was so sorry that it was killing everybody and hacking them into little pieces and body parts were flying everywhere. What was, like, oh was it, though? <laughs> oh, dear Lord. It was, it was pretty cute. You have to watch the episode. It's great. Yeah, um, I'll have to take your word for it. Yeah, but she talks about like this in her memoirs and everything too. That the propellers were shredding the lifeboats that co- collided with them. Oh, um, yeah. Jessup ended up having to jump out of her lifeboat um, because it was like getting it was heading towards the propellers, so she needed to get oh out of it. Oh my god! Because he had no way to like get them away, um, and this hmm. resulted in a traumatic head injury, um, which some sources said was like a skull fracture. Um, which she ended up surviving, like, obviously, even though she had that, like, she didn't drown or anything. Um, yeah. Uh, in her memoir, she described the scene she witnessed as Britannic went under, quote, the white pride of the ocean's medical world dipped her head a little 
then a little lower and still lower. All the deck machinery fell into the sea like a child's toys. When she took a fearful plunge, her stern rearing hundreds of feet into the air until with a final roar, she disappeared into the into the depths. Um, like, just, like, crazy. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then yeah. it also said that there was two other people, Arthur John Priest and Archie Jewell, who were aboard the Britannic who were also other survivors of the Titanic. Really? Um, wow. They also survived both. Um, that yeah, is so weird. Interesting. It was like, yeah, maybe all three cases. of them weren't good luck. If um, you survive two, if you survive one, like, yeah. disaster. That's insane. She survived if you survive three. two. She or three. three. I mean, it just and keeps upping the ante. Yeah. Yeah, and tuberculosis. Crazy. Um, <laughs> yeah, and my that. last. There was like a bunch of other stuff she did, um, but just basically to sum it up, she spent like the next thirty years of her life working on various ships. She kind of just back, bounced back and forth between them. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and then she ended up retiring in nineteen fifty. Um, a little bit before that, at the age of thirty six, she had gotten married to a steward. Um, who basically like did the same kind of thing she did. His name was John James Lewis. Uh, but they ended up shit. Sorry, jeez. Uh, they ended up divorcing about a year later. Um, so it was a pretty short-lived marriage. I didn't read about any other marriages. Uh, yeah. But she retired in like 1950, and then she ended up dying of congestive heart failure on May 5th night. May 5th, 1971, at the age of 83. Wow. Yeah, she lived to... 71. A great long life. Uh, It's right. Survived. Just span a huge, like, age of time, right? (laughs) Yeah. A lot happened in the 1900s. (laughs) Yeah, it's, like, crazy. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But... Inventions. Speaking oh. of inventions, we can take a quick break so I can use the modern day toilet. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> we'll be back for more. <laughs> oh, that was crazy. <laughs> All right. Let's take it. Hello, Spooklings. I'm Jason. And I'm Kathy. And we're the hosts of the weekly podcast, All Hallows Eve Podcast. We are a husband and wife duo with a passion for anything spooky, macabre, and true crime, sprinkled with our own twist of comedy. We explore topics such as the history of Halloween, the butcher of Plainfield, Hocus Pocus 2, urban legends, superstitions, and more. So come join us as we go down the rabbit hole that is All Hallows Eve Podcast. Listen and follow us at allhallowsevepodcast.com or your favorite podcast provider. Stay spooky, my friends. All right. Welcome back. (laughs) I also have some information today. (laughs) Some of which is uh, near disasters also, and it's kind of fun. 
kind of funny how we didn't talk much about specifically what we were doing for this one. <laughs> yeah. But you'll you'll see. Yeah. I um I figured you were going more traditional people things people see and then I I looked up some different things which gave me lists of near death experiences as far as like physically near death and then a few that were just some more like um like not necessarily famous people but famous um near death experiences in history that have been kind of written down so okay interesting <laughs> but the first part I was like very much right what you were doing because I was like here's a list of famous celebrities who were almost killed to death <laughs> killed to death well I didn't think you were gonna go that way <laughs> but yes well we had talked about it like doing survival stories and that kind of stuff we've you've talked about it like so many times so that's all I could remember when I looked back on like our episode theme near death experiences I was like oh that must be the survival oh, stories oh really <laughs> yeah. yeah well they're both very much the same thing these are times certain people almost died uh which was just a quick listicle I had um so half of mine was a little bit of near-death experiences from celebrities. <laughs> like the time Thomas Edison was nearly killed by a flying badger. Um, that sounds interesting. He apparently loved trains quite a lot. Which Okay, like I, we know he invented things and stuff like that and whatever. But uh, he like was so into trains that one time the train conductor decided that he could not only ride on the train because I'm sure he liked to be like up in the you know what do they call it on a train a cockpit or whatever like where the engineer is but um they decided he could ride on something called the cow catcher which is actually attached to the front of the train because it comes out oh. almost like a rake kind of thing and it's to Oh, it's I've seen that. Push yeah. Animals off. Yes, I feel like I've seen it too. Who would like push things off the the tracks? Um, oh. and as he wrote on this completely non-regulated non-seat <laughs> on top of the train, yeah. um, a badger got picked up by the, you know, the cow catcher, <laughs> as it were, and it was flung directly towards his face at great speed and in his words with great violence and it was a near miss to his face so that one could have been oh. by inches <laughs> a badger to the face of thomas edison <laughs> well i mean if it's there to like get animals off of the tracks you have to assume at some point an animal is gonna <laughs> come towards you if you're stand or laying on that or whatever Right? I don't even... He was obviously just, like, splayed out on it, because it's not yeah. a seat in any shape no. or form, so there's no handholds. He was probably just hanging on for dear life. Fuck. Um, apparently, uh, lots of famous people are insane. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is a more modern celebrity. Uh, Adam Devine. 
from Modern Family, Pitch Perfect. Yeah. Um, okay. He's kind of that short, funny guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, he was hit by a truck when he was 11. He was actually hit by a cement truck, like literally. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, like most of us would be like, I feel like I was hit by a truck. He was like, no, no. <laughs> you don't know. I was hit by a truck. Um, he was like sitting in the middle of the road on his bike or something. So if the bike hadn't taken the brunt of the impact, he would m- almost certainly have died. He broke nearly every bone below his skin, almost had to take his legs clean off, but they eventually saved them. So it was like pretty bad. Jeez. Yeah, know. that's scary. It's just crazy, right? Like, I can't believe he survived that. Um they had to put him into a medically induced coma for like two weeks. And then um, at least 26 surgeries later, he was discovered <laughs> that he leaned on comedy to get him through the dark times as it were. So <laughs> I wow. think a lot of those times you hear stories where people are like, well, and then I had to lean on like <laughs> what could be funny still. Right. It's like, You've been through some dark times. What the fuck can you laugh about? You have to laugh, right? Yeah, that's crazy. 26 surgeries, though. Yeah. That's a lot. That's insane. I never would have guessed. Absolutely ever. He looks completely normal. Like, I don't know, like nothing facially you know what i mean <laughs> reconstructed or anything i don't know what how yeah and like just... even in movies i'm trying to think if i would have ever even thought like he would have had maybe any like problems with his legs or oh, anything yeah, like yeah. that since True. they were like almost not saved like that's pretty dramatic right? i never really noticed anything wow oh just like almost severed or something <laughs> crazy okay this next one i had actually heard of before um because of my podcast addiction but it's that johnny cash was nearly gutted by an ostrich (laughs) that's really weird okay so this is on his own um property uh as they call him the man in black was hanging out at uh, what's been called his own version of Graceland because they called it the House of Cash. So it's his whole mm. like estate. I, I I think I read yeah. it was like a yeah studio, recording studio, whatever. But also they had like um, a f- exotic animal farm or whatever. And um, <laughs> he was walking around outside and... Uh, there had also been a bad winter that had killed several of the birds and one who happened to have lost his mate was extremely agitated I guess so the poor little emus um, except they're not so little Um, Johnny Cash came into his path and the emu acted aggressively but Cash ended up walking away uh, however, the next time they crossed paths, he didn't get away so lucky. I mean, he did because he lived, but the bird yeah. struck out with its four-inch claws that can, like, literally disembowel you. But after it broke his lower ribs and ripped into him from his chest down to his belt, it got stuck on his belt. So he's like, 
I think my belt kind of saved me that day just a little bit. Oh, God. <laughs> wow. Like, they just like, that, they sound like velociraptors. Like, they just can like, yeah, rip you That's open. what I'm pitching. <laughs> Picturing just crap. Like a fucking right? tiger. Like, he lived after that. I can't believe that wow. that was not his cause of death. Um, yeah, he credits the belt for saving his life. Otherwise, he would have been the Ken doll in black. <laughs> <laughs> I keep hearing there was a Ken doll song in the Barbie movie. But yeah, I'm just Ken. Anywhere else, I'm he'd be a 10. Ken. Okay. Still haven't seen it's it. It's so funny. good. <laughs> that sounds funny. It's all about how he just loves Barbie so much and Barbie doesn't care about him. Oh, but no. but all the Kens, they do this song and then they at the by the end of the song they're all good. Cause you know what? Um <laughs> what are they saying? They're like, I'm a Ken, and then the guy goes like, So am I. Put your mask. <laughs> hand in mine and they're like yeah because we're just Ken <laughs> so then they're all empowered okay. because they're just Ken yeah. nice. and that's okay because they're really nice guys it's, okay. it's pretty cute it's yeah. one of the most catchy songs like in that whole movie <laughs> oh good yeah. yeah makes me think of Simpsons because they have the Malibu Stacy dolls that smithers is obsessed with (laughs) but that sounds funny and yeah everything i heard about it was sounding pretty funny i was like what all right um okay so on to the rest of them they (laughs) nde the near-death experience of black sabbath nearly pranking their drummer to death uh bill ward so, similar to that story, the Tin Man actor in The Wizard of Oz, uh, the guy named Buddy Ebsen, whose paint, the silver paint, nearly killed him after it was applied all over his body. We've heard of this, right? Yeah, I think I briefly heard about that before. It's weird, but it, it happened. He, yeah, got sick or whatever. It's like body paint gone bad. Yeah. One night when Bill Ward passed out, the rest of the band decided it would be fun to coat him in gold shiny body paint. Um, full gold member, <laughs> as I put it. Oh, uh, yeah. And Yami, I don't know, and Ozzy, the other the guys in the band thought this was super funny. Or at least until Bill started like convulsing and vomiting. Uh, paramedics had to give him adrenaline and they cleaned him with paint stripper while chastising the rest of them for being reckless idiots. <laughs> yeah. They did that on uh, Mythbusters. <laughs> really? I can see that. Yeah. I think Jamie and Adam both true. like painted each other and then they were monitoring, I think, their temperature and like heart rate and stuff. I can't remember the results on whether or not it was true, but I know they did it. Okay. Like, I feel like it's yeah. maybe a combination of things, but <laughs> who might it tell? Um, that one. Okay. Yeah. Number five, the, on the near death experience list, the, yes, my straight listicle. Graham Norton was mugged and nearly bled to death. 
1989, as a drama school student, he was mugged at knife point, then stabbed. He lost half his blood, lying in shock on the sidewalk until an elderly couple found him. He hadn't even realized he'd been stabbed. He was in so much shock. Also, he's a wow. guy. You, do you ever see when he uh, like um you look up different interviews with celebrities and stuff, and then he's like the British guy, and the background is like all that red and yeah. And I've watched some of the episodes. Yeah, he's not my favorite. He seems a little like unhinged of an interviewer. <laughs> but... He's been stabbed. No, I don't know. But yeah, yeah, you know what he? Yeah, it's like you you recognize him though. <laughs> Yeah, I guess that's why they included him. Um, Hunter S. Thompson nearly killed, but then also saved Bill Murray. Um, as it says, or as it goes, Buddy was... Buddy? Nope. Bill was studying to play Thompson, and they were at a pool in Aspen when Murray decided it would be cool to try a daring kind of Houdini-style escape. So, Hunter S. Thompson obligingly tied him to a chair and threw him into the pool. Oh my god! (laughs) Recipe for disaster, right? (laughs) Yeah, what the heck? It said that he had planned to, like, be able to stand up if he needed to get a breath, but the bindings were too tight and would not allow it. And so when Mm. Hunter S. Thompson kind of realized that he wasn't (laughs) just faking it or whatever he fished him out again and saw that his gasps and struggles for air were for real so it was like oh fuck ends well (laughs) i know celebrities right (laughs) um dolph lundgren nearly killed sylvester stallone on the set of rocky the fourth They had a big fight scene, and during the boxing match, blows are landing on Sylvester, and he felt a burning after three punches. (laughs) But much like any middle-aged man, he ignored it. (laughs) Later, he had trouble even breathing, so he sought medical attention. Turns out his heart had been kind of rattling around his chest so hard, it started to swell. And he was medevaced and spent eight days in hospital in intensive care. Thanks Jeez. <laughs> wow. I thought maybe his, like, a rib punctured, like, something, and he had, like, internal bleeding or something. Well, as wow. we know, that's not even what happened to Houdini. He just got punched random times which seemed to aggravate things it's just crazy yeah. um uh yeah to cap out this list uh number eight a fan nearly killed frank zappa during a concert which was in 1971 uh when a man named trevor charles howell bum rushed the stage that zappa was performing on he was pushed into a concrete orchestra pit, breaking his neck and crushing his larynx. Jeez. Wow. Not good at all. Turns out the whole reason uh, the guy bum rushed the stage was that the man's girlfriend had a huge crush on Zappa. Yay. <laughs> then you nearly fucking killed him. Right? <laughs> Uh, he ended up in a wheelchair for more than a year and his voice was permanently damaged and he sang 
uh, at a lower octave, octave for the rest of his life. Octave. So like his voice sounded different. Well, um, yeah, I probably could have queued up some audio recordings, but still crazy, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're still on these uh, very literal near death experiences. Um, but last to cap out this list is nine and ten. George Lucas nearly died in a car crash. He loved racing cars and dreamed of being a race car driver. Then a slip up while street racing where he was hit by a comp by the competition while starting to turn as the other car was trying to pass, where his car ended up broadsided and rolled several times, wrapping itself around a tree. Um, as some pointed out, kind of like in his movie American Graffiti. But he had a very long recovery from, like, broken bones and bruised lungs, which sounds just a little bit awful. Um, after which he turned his focus to movie making as a less dangerous hobby slash career. My words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he made fucking Star Wars. <laughs> but at least he was safe not doing any of it. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, he wasn't, like, fast and the furiousing it up anymore. <laughs> Tokyo oh, Drift man. around the corner! And you know if you get talk to Pat, he talks about who George Lucas left to take it over, Kathleen Kennedy, and he'll never shut up about her. <laughs> <laughs> um, finally, for that list, Martin Lawrence went into a coma from heat stroke one day in Big Mama's house, where Martin was always wearing a full or a full fat suit or at least covered in several thick layers because he was always playing that fat character. So mm. on one particular day, as the story goes, he was running around filming when he collapsed from heat stroke. Uh, this all led to the overexertion landing him in the hospital. Um, they basically had to put him into a three-day coma because his temperature hit a whopping 107 degrees before they like got it under control. But yeah, that's what happened. Jeez. It's crazy. Um that's what you get if you type in NDEs and famous accounts. However, there are some historical accounts going back as far as cavemen. Yeah. I okay. mean, people almost die all the time, so I'm sure there's millions. Right. <laughs> Going back years, yeah. Um, but cave paintings in Spain and France show storyboards of people's amazing accounts. And I was just like, they didn't give me any details on the cave painting ones, but I just was like, wow, that's crazy that something can be associated with near-death experiences and that from cave paintings. <laughs> but... In modern days, there's even been a 13-question scale called the Grayson Scale that helps assess whether a person has had a genuine NDE. Near-death okay. experience. The questions include things like, did past scenes of your life come back to you? Did you see a bright light? An unearthly world? Felt separate from your body? Saw deceased relatives or religious spirits? Um, all those sort of things. And scientists have a theory that these events result from a multi-sensory integration in the cortex. Duh. No. I don't know. Sounds fancy. So, 
in the historical accounts, number one on, because basically my sources were like two listicles, <laughs> mm-hmm. is the myth of ear or air, air, uh, recounted in Plato's Republic, written about a soldier who experiences a near-death experience that died during a battle. Um, one source I found said he was sometimes called air the Pamphlian. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm like I don't I don't know of it, so his name, I don't know. But uh, one of the only sites where I could find a backup to the story from greekmythology.com, the myth of air is a tale in Greek mythology about a man who died on a battlefield and returned to life 9 days later, recounting what happened in the afterlife. The word myth was used in the ancient Greek sense, meaning account rather than the present day meaning. So afterwards, he came to a place where uh, either two or four, depending on the accounts, uh, doors stood facing him. There were judges to decide who went to which afterlife based on their life on Earth. Sort of good souls to the sky and not so good would return to the Earth to like go through it again i guess okay yeah um quote souls return from the sky filled with positive feelings while souls return from the earth talked about the misery and punishments they faced the worst souls murderers and criminals could not exit the earth the sky souls were clean and happy the earth exit souls were dirty and unhappy but Air was told he would not be judged this way, but would instead be a messenger to humankind. Days later, he was led to something called the Spindle of Necessity. Necessity of Ananke was a primordial goddess and personification of fate. Oh, fun. This one was had some <laughs> Greek in- influence, so I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Now there, souls would receive a lottery name, and upon choosing their next life's path, went under the throne to the river Leth, or forgetfulness. Um, the first soul, having traveled through the sky in the previous area, decided to become a dictator. Oh, yeah, this is why I included this quote, because it was weird. <laughs> when that happened, <laughs> though... <laughs> He didn't realize that he he was destined to eat his own children because of his actions. Air realized that the souls that had traveled through the sky and had not lived the punishment of the other path often chose bad things for their next lives while the opposite happened for the souls that had been punished. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. It was interesting. Then the soldiers were told to drink something that would help them forget their previous lives. After they fell asleep, they went to their new bodies, but Air skipped this so that he would remember the process. It's like oh, okay. he's the only one awake to the glitch in the Matrix or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, when Air woke, he was in his old body on a funeral pyre with fellow soldiers about to be burned as a dead body. Fortunately, he made it known he was alive and could pass on his message. 
Uh, yeah. Don't uh, kill me! Don't set me on fire! <laughs> I'm alive. <laughs> okay, yeah, this guy was called bad. Cle... Yeah. Uh, Cleodemus. I just started calling him Cleo. <laughs> <laughs> A book written by Lucian called The Liar speaks of Cleo. Cleo fell gravely ill and was attended by Antigonus, but still grew sicker. Uh, he lay feverish for seven days before having his near-death experience. He woke to a young man in a white cloak before him. The man led him to a place that resembled Hades and the underworld. Uh, Cleo saw Tantalus, the rich but wicked king. And um, uh, Tidius... Wait, hang on. I'm like, Tidius 9. I think that was supposed to be a... Uh, bracket. <laughs> well, Tidius, a giant chained to a rock, and Sisyphus, that king forced to roll a boulder up the hill for eternity. Heard of that one. He was led to the judgment hall and met with Achis, a judge of justice, and a king of justice, and Charon, the ferryman of Hades itself. Not the ferryman. Hades got there and read the names of the nearly dead. Suddenly, Pluto told Cleo to go away because his thread was not yet out. He really wanted a blacksmith named Demolus instead. It was just a little mix-up. <laughs> so, <laughs> when he woke shortly after, his fever had abated, and even stranger still, Demolus passed away soon after. Number three, Prince Gad, from the Acts of Thoman, an early 3rd century New Testament text. An apocryphal tale, based on your view of the Bible. We all know we love the Bible here. No. Um, but apocryphal meaning a story of statement or of doubtful authenticity, although widely circulated as being true. So I guess kind of like a, a rumor. A hot hmm. rumor. <laughs> I don't know. Um, starring Thomas, a Christian apostle to India, and Indo-Parthian King Gondophorus the first. On a visit to India, King G's brother fell ill, and for some reason, the king imprisons Thomas and a merchant named Haban. Then Gad dies. Gad goes to heaven, where he notices that Thomas has constructed the king a palace there. The angels have mercy and let Gad go. But then, as they place clothing back on Gad, his soul entered his body and was back, baby. <laughs> to which I literally wrote, like the meme of Joey Tribbiani. I'm back, baby! Um, or meme, gif, whatever. You know, the thing. <laughs> The king and Gas convert to Christianity and celebrate the Eucharist with Thomas and everyone. Yes, of course. <laughs> and then Timarchus of Cheronia. Timarchus. Sounds like Jamarcus from Modern Family. <laughs> when they're gay friends. Oh. So, yeah. That's what makes me think of anyway. Timmy was a student of Socrates. And as Plutarch recounted later, had wandered into a crypt and was lost there for two days and two nights. 
His family thought he must be dead, but then he returned, and with quite a tale to tell. First, he'd been thrust into complete darkness, then prayed and lay for a long time. He knew not if he was awake or asleep and just felt time passing. But suddenly he felt himself struck upon the head. He felt his soul released from his body, followed by auditory hallucinations and buzzing and other unearthly noises. He could look down and see the underworld down a great abyss and hear the cries and roars of the humans and the beasts trapped below. But while a guide appeared not really in a body per se, it asked Timmy if he wants to see his relatives. So they said, or he said, sure. <laughs> and after doing that, he showed him a sticky peaky into the future. Pretty cool. That'd be nice. Yeah. I'd be down for that. <laughs> I know there was like absolutely no details though. And they were just like, then he woke up on the floor of the crypt alive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, and then appeared a Roman shepherd is another story uh, that happened after a period of pestilence, which caused many to fall ill and die. And, uh, this shepherd was a shepherd to the emperor. His loved ones all came to pay their respects on his deathbed. And then they said, okay, he's okay. He's done. But later he recalled how he had been taken to heaven where they gave him a little spoiler about who would die at House of Valerian, and Valerian himself would survive. So to further back up his claims, he started speaking in tongues, previously unknown to him, such as Greek. He spoke, like, several new languages, in fact. Oh, Very. that's creepy. Right? I don't like that. Sounds like demon possession. It's like, can you do that? Nope, not usually. <laughs> um, he died only uh, like two days after his near-death experience and all his death predictions came true. Oh, that's creepy. Yep. Then there was someone called Kerma, I'm guessing is how you pronounce it. Um... I'm just going to go ahead and say right here, there's not a lot of information we could find on a lot of these. <laughs> it would take me a lot of time to, I don't know, textbooks where I'm like, this is not talking about what I want. But <laughs> he had like a book called Caring for the Dead, all about burial practices and prayers and stuff, saints and the dead. And it also included a description of a near-death experience, which talked about Kerma, who um, was a man in the town of Tulium, close to the town of Hippo in Algeria. A poor member of the working class, Kerma became ill and lay unconscious and close to death for days. He saw deceased loved ones and people being judged by their deeds on earth, and he was in paradise. After he returned, he was told to return to his family and be baptized if he wanted to go to heaven. He asked to visit another man named Kerma, an iron worker. Oh, but that was basically because the man was found dead, and Kerma knew it was because he'd been called to his fate as he was the Kerma who was supposed to die. They just had a little, little mix-up. Wow. What they call the wrong, wrong one? Name. Same name, wrong person, Yeah. <laughs> 
Also, <clears throat> there was uh, Thespius told by Plutarch. This starts as a story of Eridius of Sully, who fell from a great height and broke his neck. Three days later, he was sent for burial, but recovered. He recalled that he had in fact died and left his body through the top of his head. He was shown some sort of afterlife which caused him to change his ways, being more community-minded than ever. And he changed his name then to Thespisius, which meant divine or wonderful. <laughs> okay, oh, Gordo, go away. Hi. Oh, hello. Hi, Gordo. Hey, buddy. <laughs> um, okay, I think I have two more. Uh, or three, I guess. Thespesius. Did I say that one? Divine or wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Venerable Nichizo, a Japanese monk whose story was depicted in the 13th century origins of Katano, Tajin, Shrine, and other manuscripts. One day in 941, that's right, 941. That's a long he had time a ago. very high temperature. Sounds fake, right? Yeah. <laughs> and his throat swelled and constricted, like shut. And as he died, he saw a monk who brought him a drink of mountain spring water. Then some comely youths brought him more water. Next, the deity Bodhisattva Zagongen. I'm not sure, showed up on a boulder-looking monkish. The monk led him to the top of the mountain where a pure land existed. The monk told him how he was a peacock in a previous life. The, he mm, also requested that he follow the buzz of a protector of law. What's that? Oh, I said that'd be fun, being a peacock in a previous life. Hell yeah, sounds confident as fuck. And then, yeah, I wanted to make a stupid joke because uh, the next line, the prime minister dignified moral god then appeared out of the sky and invited him to visit his palace, which, palace, which was on a beautiful island. It's the whole prime minister of dignified moral god that made me want to make a stupid... <laughs> that's what Trudeau wants to think he is. No. <laughs> yeah, it's quite the name. Right? So, such a moniker. Um, he was then given a tour of heaven and hell. He is told to crawl into this hole to be reborn, and he wakes 13 days later into basically the same old life. So I'm not sure what message he was supposed to pass on, but then there was St. Christina the Astonishing from the 12th and 13th, 13th century. Christina was in her early 20s when she was working as a shepherd and then had a seizure where she woke to find herself on the ground, but also didn't fully awake as they like pronounced her dead. And then during her funeral, yeah. she wakes up for a real disease, starts levitating and almost actually hits the roof. <laughs> That's creepy. <laughs> she like sees purgatory God and then God gives her a choice. Go on living or go to heaven. She chose to go back to help others to live um, because she believed she could like do better um, on, on earth. On girth. <laughs> From then on, she lived her, a life of poverty and avoided human contact. She also threw herself into fires and willingly got attacked by dogs, but was always unharmed. 
What the fuck? <laughs> Throw so yourself cool. into fire. I don't yeah, feel like that's it. necessary. Unless you're having a moment like Pam in the office when they hit those whole coals ready. <laughs> but like, uh, yeah, it reminds me of their stories I've listened to. Like one earlier today was like, oh, remember those lunatic asylums? Yeah. It's just like, you could be put in there because you were poor and then basically tortured yeah. to death. Not cool. I'm sorry. I'm yelling. Um, they, yeah, thought she was possessed, so they put her in jail, twice, at least. Then she decided to live at the Dominican Monastery, where she died for good at the age of 74. Finally, (laughs) Pierre-Jean de Monchamp's patient in northern France, where a pharmacist in Paris falls unconscious, and Monchon's staff became concerned at the sudden turn of events as they worried he may not wake again. He meanwhile experienced a light so bright and pure that he knew he must be in heaven. He said it was the nicest moment of his life. But Monchon, typical doctor type, concluded that the likely medical explanation was too much blood flow to the Ta-ha. head. And that is, of course, wow. the culprit. But that's all we just know about bleed. doctors. Just bloodletting, probably. I think, like, fucking leeches that, or something. Yeah, I that's probably his answer. Let's get rid of some blood. Anyway, that's my segment. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know, we went in some weird ways. We went some, like, literal near-death experiences and then... I don't know. I had some that like weirdly came up through history where I was like not expecting them yeah. to go back that far. <laughs> no, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But I enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think we decided what we're doing next week, right? Is it still the uh Oh yeah. It was Either indigenous folklore. Was that the one we chose? Yeah. 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 So to us, that's kind of Native American or indigenous to our lands folklore. (laughs) Yeah. Or at least that's the way I'm interpreting it. Because there's obviously like you go to New Zealand and stuff and they have their own like tribes and whatnot. Yeah. You go stick to like stuff in Canada because we're yeah. coming up on, well, in Canada we have, it's called like Orange Shirt Day. That'll be on September 30th. That's right. Um, it's part of like the truth and reconciliation stuff. Like, I don't yeah. know when they started it. A few years ago with like True. all the stuff, but like residential schools and everything that they've been. It's like, um, yeah, trying to make it right. Yeah, so... What we've done in the past, yeah. Yeah, we thought it'd be a nice opportunity. Okay, you're so nice. It's like, no, we've done some shitty things, too. Just, and I'm sure around the time you guys were having your civil war and whatnot, we're all like, oh, yeah, we can make all these kids do whatever we want them to. It's like, no, no, they have their own cultures and beliefs. Like, (laughs) let's not stop them out. Yeah. Yeah, so we thought it'd be a nice time to go through we're gonna do a true crime 
episode at the end of the month but first we're gonna start with like some folklore about different tribes and stuff across canada learn more about them yes uh, and different stories yeah. and uh really teachings fun. that they have so yeah it should yeah, be really be interesting. interesting yeah i think so anyway mm. we hope you all like and uh sorry for the lack of social media and also i've had a trouble getting onto our uh, direct messages online on Instagram too so <laughs> we're not ignoring you but uh, yeah I'm having some issues there so we'll just have to see how it goes and we'll yeah. just catch you next week and you know keep it cryptic <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah bye <laughs>